Um, all right, so we're we're in the midst of Hebrews 12, and we've been talking about suffering and persevering in the suffering and how we get through our time of suffering. And if we live on earth, <laughs> we're going to suffer. Um, and there's there's degree of suffering. We understand this. I think the greatest suffering is is death, death of a loved one. Um, always. I don't think there's anything worse. And so that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate end of the curse is death. Now, starting with back, there's the human condition has always tried to alleviate, avoid, get out of suffering any way it can. In fact, one of the early uh, Greek philosophers, his name was Cicero, he basically said that philosophy is all about, you know, studying and thinking about suffering and saving our own skin was, was the word that he used. And that branch, really, they dealt with, with suffering through what we call, we would call it stoicism, like being a stoic. And the Stoics, basically, what they believed is that um, morality and death um, is because of attachment and because of desires. And they believe that um, everything has a, a reason, everything is very rational. And the first thing they said is just don't, don't get too attached to anything, right? Um, it, Bad things are going to happen, and we know bad things are going to happen. And if we really strip ourselves of attachment and we don't get too attached to anything, then we won't, we won't suffer that much, right? And avoiding attachment was something that they, they decided they were going to do. And then they said that um, even we even have to face our own death one day. You know, and if we don't get attached to anything too much in this world, then it will be a more easily departure. That was that was the mentality, and that's how the the Stoics dealt with death. And I think it's creeped in to our culture. I, I've I've seen people that shut down in the face of death. I mean, people do that. You know, us guys, we get rejected by a girl in middle school, and then you know we're not going to get that close to a woman after that, right? I mean, we all do that to some degree. Don't get too close. Don't love too passionately because you only wind up getting hurt anyway, right? Then we know that in the Eastern culture, you had Buddhism. We know that the, the, the prince went out and he saw a sick man, a poor man, and a dead man. And he came back to his palace and said, you know, talked all about suffering. He decided how he was going to deal with suffering. And according to a lot of Buddhist tradition, all life is suffering. The cause of suffering is desire or craving. Suffering only ends when the craving is extinguished. This can be achieved by the Eightfold Path of Enlightenment. So again, you have this idea of not getting too attached, not letting your desires get carried away. Now, Christianity, 
the gospel of Jesus Christ offers a much more victorious view towards suffering, which really is total victory in the end, where death becomes our slave. Death becomes our key. Death becomes our opening to what God has in store in the kingdom of God. But that doesn't mean that it isn't painful. Our family's just coming off the, 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 uh, a funeral of my daughter's best friend and a very good friend of, of mine. She's like a niece to me. And I was good friends with her dad and my wife and the mom were, were, you know, really, really close. We were family. We did things together. New Year's Eve, 4th of July. And there's just, there's no answers. There's no words. See, the Christian life, although victorious over sin and death, leaves room and leaves plenty of space for that dark night of the soul, that time of mourning. When Paul in Thessalonians talked about mourning, he said, he didn't say don't mourn. He said mourn with this hope, this hope that makes the ability to go one step at a time. So the, the, the Christian view of suffering is one of victory, but it's one of victory in the midst of our pain and our sorrow. Because if we were to act like the Stoics or follow the, the, the path of enlightenment where we don't get attached, then we're not going to live the Christian life. Jesus said the one mark of being a disciple is that we love one another. God loves us. God is love. God tells husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church. Now, I don't see a husband loving their wife in a stoic manner, in a stay-away-from-me manner. I think that men should love their wives passionately, creatively, boldly. And that's how God loves us. Tony Campolo told the story that he was counseling this old preacher and his wife and she said I don't, I don't think that he he loves me i feel like he doesn't love me and he never tells me he loves me and paul looked over and said is that true he i told her when we got married 30 years ago i love you if i change my mind i'll let you know right that's that i'm gonna i'm not gonna go too crazy here right Richard Rohr writes in his book, The Naked Now, is the name of the book. He says, two universal prime paths of transformation have been available to every human being God has created since Adam and Eve and the Stone Age. Great love and great suffering. These are offered to all. They level the playing fields of the world religions. Only love and suffering are strong enough to break down our usual ego defenses, crush our dual thinking, and open us up to the grace of God. In my experience, they are like nothing else. 
the mysterious chemistry that can transmute us from fear-based life into a love-based life. None of us are exactly sure why. We do know that words, even good words, or total orthodoxy, orthodox theology cannot achieve that by itself. No surprise that the Christian reminder of redemption as a man offering love from a crucified position. So the gospel of Jesus Christ does not minimize our suffering. It does not immediately alleviate it. It brings us through it. It walks us through it. Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, says this. Walking with God through suffering means treating God as God and as there he is present. Walking is something non-dramatic, rhythmic. It consists of steady, repeated actions you can keep up in a sustained way for a long time. God did not tell Abraham in Genesis 17:1 to somersault before me or even run before me because no one can keep such behavior up in a day to day and day in and day out. There are many people who think of spiritual growth as something like high diving. They say, I am going to give my life to the Lord. I'm going to change all these terrible habits and I am really going to transform. Give me another six months. I'm going to be a new man or a new woman. That is not what a walk is. A walk is day in and day out praying day in and day out, either Bible reading, Psalms reading, fellowshipping with the Lord, fellowshipping with one another, day in and day out, obeying, talking to Christians, friends, going to corporate worship, committing yourself to a fully participating life in the church, or treating God as though he is always present and talking to him. To walk with God is a metaphor that symbolizes slow and steady progress. So in our suffering, we stay upon our God. Now, I know many of you know that in 2019, I became very acquainted with suffering. Well, my son, he was a corporal in the Marine Corps. He was what they call one of the 22. He took his life in 2019. And then I was acquainted with, with suffering. And at first, you know the grief fog. Those you, Everyone goes through grief because if we're going to love, we're going to grieve, right? We're going to lose people that we love. Up to that point, I knew Hebrews chapter 12. I had taught with John, which I think is one of the greatest uh, teachings on suffering that John has in the Alpha series, the eternal view of suffering. I thought taught that for 20 years. I remember the morning after I got the news, I said, well, I'm going to go through a walk. I'm going to review the eternal view of suffering and everything's going to be fine. You know? And I, I was devastated. I was knocked, knocked out for the count. And I became anxious. I didn't know like how I was going to get through this. And everything that I thought I knew, the little bit of head knowledge combined with a little bit, well, a lot of head knowledge with a little bit of heart knowledge, wasn't going to get me through. So I remember 
saying, I got I gotta do something. And I knew that God, the Holy Spirit, that I learned that, well, you persevere. What you do is you persevere. What you do is you have hope in your heart, and God's going to get you through it. I knew all that in my mind, but it, it didn't help. It didn't alleviate the pain. Reflecting back, and this, this has been a time of reflection because my daughter Grace, she said, I don't know how to handle all this, Dad. She lost her best friend. And she had a pretty tight friend circle, other girls that were very close that might even say they were Natalia's best friend too. She said, a lot of them are mad. A lot of them are angry at God. They're mad at God. Why didn't God heal her? Why would God let her get this cancer? Why didn't, why, 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 why? I don't know what to say. I said, you can't say anything. There's nothing you can say. First of all, God doesn't need us to stick up for him or make him look good. Second of all, theologians have dealt with the problem of evil and why things happen the way they do. And there's no, for me, there's no satisfactory answer. There's no answer as to why there's such suffering. Not anything that I can put into words. But I remember, and I told Grace this, I said, Grace, it's not knowing why or not knowing anything it's knowing him it's knowing god it's knowing him because he's going to speak to our hearts he's going to sit us with us in the suffering he'll sit there with us in the suffering and i believe he co-suffers with us and he'll sit there in the dark place as long as we sit there in the dark place until we're willing to let the light in. Every troubling thought that I had, every, and I had a lot of troubling thoughts. When your son takes his life and you still see your kids in diapers even when they're 29 years old, you're, you're the dad, you're responsible. Every troubling thought, every regret, God spoke to me personally about each one of those things and brought me to a place of peace. Not only a place of peace, a place of joy. A place of, of joy unspeakable, of knowing God, knowing Him. But only God can do that. Only God is able to do that. So I told Grace, I said, you listen to God. You listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you. God will work in their hearts and minds. Remember last week, John said that the minute we, we enter into any kind of suffering, the Holy Spirit is right there teaching us and working in our hearts and minds, working. My prayer for a long time was, yes, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And that's all I could pray. And what began to happen is one day at a time, God gave me the grace for that moment, for that day. I didn't know how, I, like you look down, you look down the road, especially as a parent, you look down this long road of never seeing your child again in this life. And it's, it's unbearable. 
because this life is all we know that we've experienced. We haven't experienced the kingdom of God. We haven't experienced eternity. We haven't experienced any of that. So this life is all we know. And all we know is that they're never going to come back. You're never going to see them. And God said, you don't have to live the rest of your life. You just have to do today. You have to do right now. And sometimes it was just get through the morning, get through the afternoon, get through the next step. And then I'll bring you into the place where you have to be. But what eventually happened is things that were not of God in my life, things that I believed about God were shaken. As we continue in Hebrews, you're going to see at the end of the book, he talks about shaking everything that can be shaking so that only what remains will be strengthened. And what that means is false ideas about God, false ideas about yourself will fall away. And this emergence of the total overcoming, overarching victory of Jesus Christ and what he has to offer us not only in this life, but in the life to come, in the, in the life that's coming, in the new age, is that we get it all back. It's total restoration. We are created to be physical creatures in physical bodies, and that's what we're going to get in the new heaven and the new earth. We're not going to be floating around. We're not going to be, it's not going to be less real than right now. It's going to be the ultimate. We get a little bit of insight. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It talks about cities and parks and gardens and buildings and mansions and feasts, all these things. The trajectory that we're on is this exhilarating, wonderful, beautiful future with God. And that's what gives us the hope and the perseverance to go on. And it's a much more victorious, beautiful view of suffering than the Stoics or Buddhism. Christianity, Jesus Christ, offers you total restoration and the most beautiful hope available to man. And, the, and, 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 and death is the gateway. But there's a time to mourn. There's a time to just feel that pain. There's no going around it. There's no avoiding it. I remember calling John Hales on the way home <laughs> from my son's funeral, saying, I'm figuring out, how am I going to get out of this? I got I to gotta save myself here from this pain. How am I going to get out? I'm trying to figure out a way. This isn't supposed to happen. And he just said, you got to go through it, man. You just got to go through it. Got to go through it. And God will walk us through it. There's a sense of there's a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. One of the things that we we have to realize is that God speaks to us through revelation. Right? When God speaks to us, when we we are in tune with the Spirit and He reveals things to us, it's different than head knowledge. A lot of times, the Bible reading, the head knowledge, the things we learn are the kindling wood. They're there for a reason, and God's going to light the fire. He's going to... Now, 
I'm going to say something that might sound a little weird, but I believe that many of you will be able to relate to it. I did, I do understand why things are the way they are now. I do understand why God did it this way. You see, Jesus Christ wasn't plan B. If you read in the book of Ephesians, it says before the foundation of the earth was laid, before the creation, God had planned all this for Jesus Christ to do what he did, which in my mind says, well, then he, he knew about sin and death, right? Like, And then, God, you're responsible for all of it because you knew all this would happen and you pushed the button on creation anyway. And God said, yeah, that's right. I'm taking full responsibility for all of it. And I'm fixing it. He fixes everything in eternity. Everything is going to be as it ought to be. But I was in my kitchen and it was in a time of deep sorrow. It was shortly after... My son died, and all of a sudden, in a flash, I knew, I saw it, why things are the way they are, why there's sin and death in the world, because of what the next world's going to be. I can't put it into words. I saw it in a flash, and I understood it in a flash, right? I understood, I understood that God's character is nothing but good, nothing but perfect, beautiful, and that God is good. And that his plan is good. And that what he's doing is, is, is perfection of what's coming. I understood it, but I, I can't tell you. I can't put it into words. I can't write it down. There's no four-point plan. But I knew it. I was, I was at peace that things are the way they're supposed to be. And to be honest, my son, my son I miss him. I love him so much. I wouldn't bring him back. I would not bring him back. Although I'd walk a million miles to see him again, I wouldn't bring him back. He'd be mad. <laughs> what are you bring me back here for? So what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Paul's telling us in Hebrews as he's telling us to run the race with perseverance, as he's telling us to look to Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, endured the suffering, and sat down at the right hand of God. The joy set before Jesus was us. The joy set before Jesus was that God wants us. in his kingdom, wants us in his presence, wants to fellowship with us, wants an eternal relationship with us. The joy set before Jesus Christ was people, was fellowship, was feast. He told his disciples, I'm, I'm looking forward to eating this, this feast with you again in the kingdom of God. I'm looking forward to this. I'm, we're going to do this again. And I have a sneaking suspicion because I think, all right, the marriage supper of the Lamb, I mean, he talks about 
I mean, think of the, the, the billions of people. We're going to be sitting at this table. I have a feeling, maybe, that your circle of love, family, friends, that you were loved and bonded with, are going to have your own feast with Jesus one day in the kingdom of God. It'll be feast after feast after feast for all eternity with Jesus. We're talking about sitting down. See, we must never, and this is the one thing, we must never think that we totally ruined God's plan for our life. We must never think or become bitter about what he's allowed. Because nothing's going to change. He, in the end, will eradicate all evil, and he has overcome sin and death. And one day, sin and death will be eradicated from the universe. It will be gone. In an instant, it'll be gone. And Paul's telling us, that's the joy. That's the joy set before all of us, is we're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to be with him. We're going to be with our loved ones. And we're going to recognize them. And we're going to be with them. They're going to be exactly what we need them to be. And then Paul goes on and he tells us, and here's, and this is where kind of John left off last week. He tells us to treat all suffering, all suffering as discipline. He doesn't say that God made it happen or God, he just said treat it as discipline. Meaning God is always teaching us. God is always teaching us. Our hearts and minds should always be open to what is God speaking, what is he teaching. Now, unfortunately, there's things that we can only learn in the dark night of the soul. There's things that we can only learn when we're in that, that, that time of mourning. There's things I, I would have never learned. He's got our attention for some reason, right? During, during the painful times, a little more, I'm not sure. There's, in the Psalms, God says, I'll guide you with my eye. <laughs> he says, but do not be like the mule that's stubborn, right? When it has a bit in its mouth and doesn't write, I'll guide you with my eye. You parents know that. My dad used to guide me with his eye, right? I'll guide you with my eye. Meaning, just, you know, that, I don't know whether it's a look like I'm, but God says that he'll, he'll guide you. If we're looking at him, we'll know and we'll follow his leadership. But there's times we're, we don't, we're not even looking for God's eye. When we were kids, we, my, my, I had the best house, the best place, because we were a dead end. So all the neighborhood kids came there because we could play sports on that street without being interrupted by traffic. So everyone came to my neck of the woods, and we were always playing sports. And I remember my mom would come, come eat. Uh, yeah, mom, yeah. come eat. Yeah, yeah, all right, mom, yeah, come eat. And I'd be playing, and I'd see my dad standing on the porch, right? Because my mom already, and he wouldn't say anything. He would just wait till I saw him, and he'd turn around and walk back in, and pew, I was up the driveway in a second, right? So we all had fathers, Paul says, that disciplined us, right? But God isn't like that. God isn't anything. His, his, there's no human anger, no human 
I'll get back at you or I'll show you in it. God is teaching us. Discipline, a disciple means a student. <laughs> so the discipline means to teach. God isn't getting us. He's not creating hardship because we screwed up and he wants us to stop screwing up. He's always teaching us. He's always leading us to this place that we're going to access his love and be able to give that love to others. We're going to be able to access his love. In that time of suffering, I remember my dad called me. And he knew. He knew some of the, some of the struggles I was going through. And he says, son, I love you dearly, but there's only some things that God is able to fix here. And he was right. He was right. John knows Natalia's dad, the young girl that, that just passed away. When I talked to him about it, I said, John, I've been through this, and I don't even know what to say. He said, yeah. He says, it's beyond human help. It's beyond human help. Now, there were so many of you and John and people that did help me, that loved me, that God spoke through, that comforted me, that helped me. John and I spent many hours <laughs> in that little dimly lit office of his back there talking things through. And sometimes all I could do was cry. So yeah, we're here for one another in that time. But God speaks to our heart. And there's knowing in our heads and there's knowing in our hearts. And he is able to speak and to reveal and show us the way in the dark time. And the triumphant resurrection, the triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ, his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, where the people that have gone before us, they're not missing us, they're expecting us. Everything is right as it should be. We're in the middle of it all now. We're in the middle of it. Right? If you want, we're in the middle of D-Day and V-Day. Because as soon as the Allied forces took Normandy, they pretty much knew the war was over. That it was, it was done. There was no way that the Germans could turn anything around. But there were still those battles and skirmishes in between before it all ended. So when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that was D-Day. It's over. <laughs> the, the war is won. Jesus Christ has overcome sin and death. He has conquered it all. He's victorious. He is so victorious. You know, we, we tend, and I come from, uh, I come from, I was in a very reformed Calvinist church. And one day I said to the pastor, I said, listen, this theology, I said, according to you, Adam plunged the whole human race into this darkness and this terrible evil, and Jesus is only gonna can only save a few. Adam is that much more powerful than Jesus? Well, then there was no answer really for that. But the truth is that Jesus Christ is all victorious. 
and then it's overcome. And, and it's bigger than you think. It is bigger than any of us can think. You ever hear, everyone's heard of the, the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, right? The rich man and Lazarus. And they'll, they'll say, well, see, this proves that when, when people die, that, you know, and they're in hell, they, there's, there's nothing, you know, that, that's it. That, that parable, first of all, that's a parable. But remember when Abraham says, you know, you can't cross. It's impossible to cross that chasm. That rich man is not in hell. He's in Hades. Hades is the grave. Hades is, is, is the place of the dead in, in, in the Greek, where we all go. Read Peter. Who went into Hades? Who crossed that impossible chasm and led the captives out of Hades, even people that were in there from the days of Noah, it says in Peter. Jesus crossed that chasm. <laughs> he crossed over into Hades. He led the captives out of Hades. He did what man says is impossible. It's a victorious message. It's not a gloomy message. It's not a doom message. It's victorious. Jesus Christ is all victorious, all conquering over sin and death. No ifs, ands, or buts. He has conquered sin and death once for all. He is blown through and blown off the gates of, of Hades. One of the greatest paintings has Jesus standing on the gates of Hades, and he has one hand, he has Adam, and the other hand, he has Eve. And he's bringing them up out of out of death, the resurrection power, the resurrection victory of Jesus Christ. It's done. And that's what gives us the perseverance. That's what we look forward to. What's the worst thing that can happen? Right? We die. And it is. That's the ultimate, that's the worst thing. But Jesus Christ has turned that in to his slave, his gateway, his way for us to enter into this eternal life. He ordained it. He's allowed it. It's what's going to happen is this beautiful, exhilarating future. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's bigger than we think, much bigger. And the possibilities of eternity are endless, are endless. Science is on our side. Science is on our side now. There's no, do you know that when they discovered, they, in, in 1993, and you can read this, Hugh Ross is the author of, like, he, this guy, he speaks way above my, my brain, my IQ. But he, he does make some stuff <laughs> palatable. He wrote a book called The Creator of the Cosmos. And in 1993, they pinpointed the, the, what, they, what they call the Big Bang. They pinpointed like how the universe started, where the origin of it was, and they realized that the universe continues to expand. It continues to expand and radiate into the universe. And it's still expanding. Now put that together with what Jesus said when he said, I go there to prepare a place for you. <laughs> I go there. Father's house is the entire universe. I go there to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and get you and to take you to be there with me. So if the universe is expanding, 
did God stop creating when he, when he created us? When he created this world? No, he's, he's creating other places in the universe. Heck, you might even be able to have your own planet. We don't know. We could play softball and maybe the planets will be the bases. We don't know. It's, it, the, the possibilities are endless of what God is doing, what he's going to do. And that's the victory. That's the overarching victory that Jesus had. It is, a, it is victorious over all pain, over all suffering. And he ends the story in the book of Revelation where it says, he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. I will create a new heaven and a new earth. And whosoever will may come into the kingdom. It's a message of victory, and that's what we know, that God has the final say. He has the final say in it all. See, things might be bad, but he's going to have the final say. Sin and death are all around us. Our bodies are breaking down. You young people have no idea what's coming to you. But God has the victory over all of it. All of it. Every promise is yes and yes and yes in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your victory, Lord, over sin and death. Thank you that you have us in the palm of your hand. Thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. Thank you that you're always shaping us, always molding us, and that the ultimate transformation will be at the resurrection, Lord, which we all look forward to. All creation groans now, Lord, for the sons of God to be revealed. Thank you that you've revealed the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, our Savior, to us. For in him we live, move, have our being, and in you, Lord Jesus, all things hold together. And we pray for those that are suffering now, Lord, those that are in that dark time of mourning, of heartache. I think of many, Lord, that you would sustain them, strengthen them, raise them up, equip them, Lord God, comfort them with that supernatural comfort that only you can give. And each day, Lord, may we feed on the daily bread of Jesus Christ, knowing that you meet every need, Lord, and that you and you are all the keys of wisdom, grace, mercy, truth, beauty in this world. So we commit our hearts and minds to you. Pray that you would go before us and be our rear guard and cause us to love one another, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.